So, uh, you just called me out. <laughs> so, first of all, you just called me out. Hello there, and welcome to the Vancouver College Podcast, where we discuss the Vancouver College community and our journey to becoming better men. We're your hosts, Clark and... Conrad. And this is Mind Behind the Madness, where we talk to those at Lead VC and what makes this school tick. Our guest today is uh, Mr. Huang. Yep, that's right, yep, Mr. Mr. Huang. Mr. Huang. Yep. Uh, new... What is your position called? My position is the Director of Wellness here at the is school. Director of Wellness. Did you come in this year or last year? I came in. This, this is my first year back. Yeah. So, first, Mr. Huang, if, you, if there's anything you'd like us to know about you, something that you'd like us to know about you since you're effectively quite new here, right? Uh, uh, partial truth to that. Um, I graduated from here. I'm actually a student of VC, so I came in in 1999. So that would have been Mr. Burnett's first year oh. here at the school, I believe. If I got the math yep. right. And so I graduated in 2004. I actually came back to work here in the Learning Center from 2011, I want to say. And then in 2014, I was actually the Learning Resource Teacher for a year. And then I went to the Dark Side for two years. <laughs> if you don't know what I mean by the Dark Side, I went to work at Saints. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I went to work at Saints for two years as a personal counselor. Um, and yeah. then, long story short, ended up doing my PhD, still doing that right now. But this opportunity came up while I was doing my internship in St. John's, Newfoundland. So that's how I found out about it when I was across all mm. the way on the east side of the country. And then, so yeah, I interviewed and then I'm back here now for this year. And now we're interviewing you again. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah. Are you any interest in becoming a teacher here? Any interest? So I did the teaching thing for about a little while. I knew pretty early on that I really liked the more one-on-one or smaller classroom size engagement. Um yeah, so I knew pretty early on. So I did my, I got into my master's program right, almost right after my B.Ed. Yeah. And uh, what exactly did you uh, study to get into a position like this? It, okay, all right. So right out of high school, I did, uh, I already was kind of going into psych. Um, originally, it was yeah. cognitive sciences, and then I realized I was terrible at computer science. Because it's a combination of computer science, philosophy, and all these other disciplines. <laughs> and I knew right away that that was not for me. And then so I kind of was heading in the direction of psychology. But my first lecture, the professor was like, unless you plan to do anything other than just majoring it, there's no point, really. Mm-hmm. So it was a very eye-opening kind of first lecture there. And then I also wasn't quite sure what I would do with the psych degree. So I actually doubled in English literature as well. So I did a double major in psychology and English Lit and actually used the English Lit as my way to get into the teaching degree. Um, So teaching, and during my first year teaching, I was introduced to actually one of my mentors who was actually a counselor. He transitioned from a school teacher to become a counselor, actually. And he said, like, hey, you might be interested in this program. Um, And then so I was actually quite interested in it. So I did the prereqs ended up going into counseling psychology. So that's the field I'm in right now. And then so I did my master's in counseling psychology. And then now I'm doing my PhD in counseling psychology as well. Sounds very interesting. Okay, so first of all, we have a few questions about um, mental health. So would you say, sure. why would you say it's important like to be careful about, be, be mindful of our mental health? Yeah, so 
I guess there's been a lot of emphasis on our physical health and well-being over the past a number of years, actually. And then more recently, mental health is definitely something that's been at the forefront, given the number of concerns, like the the bigger issues that I continue to uh, encounter is uh, low mood, depression, anxiety, stress, all these areas that really weigh on our, basically our hearts and our minds together. And so... In terms of the mental health piece overall, like it's just something that's just growing in terms of awareness. Um, the unfortunate part is, unlike physical ailments, it's an invisible injury for a lot of us at the time where it really occurs outside of observable facts. So that's why I think it's important to continue these discussions about it overall so that we can bring to light some that's behind the scenes. Yeah, being aware is very, especially very important because some people may be dealing with this mental health issues in harmful ways. So mm. would there be any harmful ways that you would that you want to talk about? Like any yeah. harmful ways to deal with mental health issues that you would like discourage? Yeah, so I want to make sure I understand the question correctly. Like yeah. there are harmful ways to like work with mental health. Is that what I'm hearing? Like harmful ways to like cope or deal with mental right. health issues. Yeah, so I really view it along a spectrum of kind of healthy along to unhealthy ways of kind of addressing mental health. So... Yeah. There are, unfortunately, quite a number of unhealthy ways that we can address it. And what we do know is that they do work. So, for instance, substance use is something that works at times to cope with mental health. Yeah. And it can work in the short term of addressing or alleviating the distress that someone may be going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just know that the longer term healthier ones require a lot more work. And it takes practice. It takes a lot of like self-examination. It takes a lot of effort to, to engage in these practices overall. But definitely, there are unhelpful ways that can occur as a result. Okay. So, so what exactly would the healthy ways of coping with an abnormal amount of stress be? Huh. Sorry, coping with a normal <clears throat> amount of stress or? Both. Well, I guess the best way is first kind of recognizing it within yourself. Because we really all have different thresholds for how much stress that we can actually handle. That's the kind of the nature and nurture kind of discussion there we're kind of informed by multiple aspects and multiple influences but it doesn't mean we can't develop healthier ways of coping along the way so for instance i really try and teach students like what's called pace breathing a lot of us actually breathe quite shallow these days and we're not actually getting enough oxygen to the rest of our body especially our brains so when we're quite activated and heightened or stressed out we tend to breathe more shallow we don't breathe like fully And so we get more and more worked up. So I try and encourage students to learn how to actually belly breathe, for instance. How do you actually expand your belly and you actually get your breath throughout your whole entire system as opposed to just at the chest level. And what you realize is that that just buys you time to what's going on and actually hopefully take a step back and observe. That's one way. Breathing itself. I can't stress breathing enough. Yeah. Remember to make sure to breathe, dear viewers. I I (laughs) I can already see you. Uh, all of you just listening to this and the moment he brought up like breathing as a <laughs> yeah you're, you're, you're doing it breathing. right now yeah the yeah. moment you bring it up all of us everybody just started. at home <sighs> started breathing heavily <laughs> I, I needed that <laughs> yeah well i think it's something that we're meant to do automatically to begin with yep. we don't kind of catch ourselves when we're really worked up um so mm-hmm. and obviously there's a time and place for those more short shallow breaths or anything like that but it's funny, when I see people like, let's say the HPC here, 
they know how to breathe when they're squatting. They know that they need to kind of breathe in and then breathe out when they're pushing out or pushing or exerting an amount of force. So I'm hoping that that yeah. can translate over into like people in their day-to-day coping as well. Yeah. Speaking of teenage, teenagers dealing with um, mental health issues daily, would you say that they need to see their mental health as um, something they need to keep track of a lot or is it more of something that they just like they just know what happens when something goes wrong? I might need you to help rephrase that question a bit there, Conrad. Um, I, would, I was asking um, if maybe... We need to keep track of our mental health more, or hmm. if we just if we should just be aware of um, maybe stuff that could trigger mental health issues in our daily lives. Yeah, for sure. I I yeah. want I I don't want it to be something that you kind of just add on though, because I think we add on a lot that can further promote stress, which I don't know if that's helpful. Sometimes yeah. we actually need to recognize we may need to remove certain things, but with respect to mental health in particular, we really do need to raise our awareness for it. We really do know when, for instance, we have an injury, like a physical injury. We can recognize when we sprained our ankle or we've kind of broken our leg or we need glasses for vision or whatnot. But when it comes to our mental health, it's kind of really occurring a lot, like I said, behind the scenes and kind of in our headspace sometimes. And when we don't pay attention to it, it can further, like the best way I can put it, it can further grow. And so you kind of have to catch yourself and take those moments to like take an inventory of what's actually going on in your life right now instead of just in doing mode the entire time because we kind of catch ourselves doing a lot and things can just happen and so we end up reacting when things really get overwhelming for us mm-hmm. so my hope is that we're more preventative so that you can integrate these like for instance self-care practices ways to monitor your health and well-being overall including your mm-hmm. mental health um yeah so it's just something to continue to actually be mindful of Instead of mindless, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. But on the note of always having things piling onto you, mm. uh, it's generally seen that students will often be stressed. Uh, may I ask your opinion on how the world views stress and mental health as a whole? It's not surprising to say that an awful lot of students and adults, and quite frankly, just everybody, is often they often feel like stress is something that's just going to happen to them. There's no way to stop it, and that that's just the nature of it. There, There's always going to be deadlines. There's always going to be something that's effectively screwing you over. Is there... Huh, is there? Okay. Do you think that something needs to change about that, or do you think that's just how the world is? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because in different cultures, like, the level of stress, I imagine, is also quite different because mm-hmm. if you're, for instance... In, if I'm not mistaken, in Hong Kong, like their day to day, their work schedule and student life is almost till like 9 or 10 p.m. So they start, let's say, like 6 a.m. and then go until about 10 p.m. And that's the constant stress that that culture is experiencing. Here, I don't know. Like, in terms of, like, I, what I do know is that stress is unavoidable. Like, it's really a part of our day to day lives these days. And we need to really find ways to manage it. Accordingly. And we have to find the way that's right for you as an individual to manage those stressors that you encounter. Um, I'm, I don't want to feel, I don't want to send the message out that, like, there's nothing you can do about it, though. Of course. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to give into the sense of hopelessness, which is actually further stressing people <laughs> out, right? Yeah. So, what, just, what would you say, like, to those, to those who are stressed and don't, like, don't really know what to do about let's say schoolwork there's a lot of stress that comes with it mm. what would you say is a good coping mechanism or like a way to deal with it that many students would use effectively yeah. so 
I really can't stress this enough. Like, it's there's no one size fits all approach when it comes to stress management. One helpful tactic that I've suggested to some students is like breaking things down. A lot of us feel overwhelmed when we have so many different tasks that we need to do. And when we kind of see it all in front of us, it can be just overwhelming and we just don't even know where to start. So if you're kind of in that position, again, first, be bold. Take that breath first. Take that breath in. Do what you need to do. Calm down first. Then take that step back and look and begin to perhaps even prioritize. And what's actually essential that you need to take care of in the moment right now. Yeah. And then kind of plan ahead as well as you go along. And may I ask, when did you learn all of this? As a teenager when you were going to Vancouver College? Or did you only really begin paying attention to all this kind of stuff when you Mm. began doing your psych degree or your philosophy degree, you said it was? Psych, yeah. So, yeah, so it's all psychology. Um, It's a bit of both. So I actually want to say my faith informed a lot of my uh, pieces too. It's funny that my therapeutic approach integrates pieces that are faith like our Roman Catholic faith actually incorporates already. So one key aspect that our faith actually challenges us to do is to examine what's going on in your life on a day-to-day basis. Examine like what's ha- what you've done, take inventory, express gratitude. And yet what we're finding is that these pieces are actually quite beneficial for us psychologically as well. So if you're able to take stock of what's happening and in spite of, let's say, the trials or tribulations that you've gone through, express some gratitude, your outlook changes as a result of it. So it's a combination, Clark, in terms of what I've been able to pick up along the way. Some things that kind of happened in high school, I knew right away that support of others was very important. Having peers to connect with and just chat with and vent about what's going on was releasing for me. But all these other psychological principles I've also obviously picked up in my training as well. And again, from your experience, uh, in comparison to those earlier years when you were a teenager compared to now, how has the treatment of mental health, the, the ideas and thoughts around it changed? Yeah, I'd like to hope that students now are a bit more open to having discussions about it. Um, it's still challenging, particularly with males. That's been my experience so far, kind of breaking through, like, I want to say like hyper-masculine norms in particular. Yeah. Whereas that sense of like, I've got to be what's called the sturdy oak. Like I've got to have it all taken care of. I've got to have it all on my own. So those are certain norms, particularly if you subscribe to those norms. That's a challenge. And that's something I'm finding not as extreme here in the school, but it's still present. Of course. Um, And yet more and more individuals are accessing mental health services now as well. That's what we're finding out. That's the encouraging piece. People are willing to seek out mental health resources. I can't stress this enough. It's free for all of you right now. When it doesn't become free, that's when you start recognizing like, <laughs> oh, I could have taken advantage of it. So that's my like encouragement for students here. Take advantage of it while it's free for you right now, especially. So about, so about like talking to like your friends or like anyone about like your issues, a big hmm. concern for them is, as you said, as you said, like um, how they, how other people view them as well. Because right. if they talk about it, they might think they're weak. Uh, another huge concern is also like the, the fear of bringing others down with their own problems. Is there any mm. way you'd like to address that concern? Yeah. So I guess it, you really need to evaluate your friends if that's the case because a true friend ultimately lifts you up, right? Yeah. It doesn't really put you down all the time. 
And so it's important to evaluate who you surround yourself with and who you can actually turn to in those moments of like in need of trust. And that's the thing. It's quite like I see Clark kind of eyeing the people in the room right now. <laughs> oh no, I think we got bad friends. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. but the so wh- what I can say is like it takes time to know who you can actually turn to in those moments. Yeah, of being vulnerable and knowing that you can trust that vulnerability with someone else. So it takes time to figure that out. It also takes experience, and unfortunately, it takes sometimes that sense of like rejection too. But recognizing that it ultimately is worth it to find that trusting other who you can turn to for anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to question you this. So uh, you just called me out. <laughs> so first of all, you just called me out. Uh, yeah. But it's about that. So there are, uh, there are, there's more than just Conrad and Mr. Huang in the room with us. Mm. Uh, a few other of the podcast folks, for those of you who are listening. But a lot of us express our friendship in a lot of different ways. And for right. a lot of my friends, they're completely familiar with the fact that I have a tendency uh, to berate them. Although, uh, usually in a comedic fashion, right? I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to beat you uh, into the ground. But, like, is that, is that something, is that kind of way of expressing friendship of, uh, or any, anything else for that matter, like, a negative thing? So, I guess it depends on your group thing, Clark, as well, right? Because if that intention is known from everyone, that your ultimate intention is actually not to harm someone, it's just more for a comedic effect or whatnot, it's more to, like, kind of get the group together, mm-hmm. and there's a mutual understanding amongst the individuals involved, then it's, for that group, it's not as harmful, right? Because everyone understands what's going on there. But if that's not something that's agreed upon, and you still commit that action or whatnot. Yeah. Um, that's where the hurt can happen, right? And that's what we call resentment can build in. So resentment is not even anger, but resentment is something that kind of buries deep, and it can actually like kind of manifest in other ways. Like all of a sudden, it turns into physical act of aggression. All of a sudden, and someone pushes someone, and then it escalates out in quote unquote nowhere. Mm-hmm. That um, makes sense, of course. So this time, like with the idea that you have to be very mindful of like who you put around you. Like, do they have? Would you say that? Your friends have a huge effect on how you act and the way you behave. Yeah, so we, we're we kind of like the average. This has been the metric that's kind of in the literature. We're kind of the average of the majority of people we surround ourselves with, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right, so we take in influences from the people, like whether it be our parents, whether it be our close friends, and we really start subscribing to the values and norms that we've kind of established along the way. That's also why it's important to try and diversify too, to try and actually step outside your comfort zone and connect with other people as well. So anecdotally on my end, like I had a core group of VC friends who I'm still in touch with right now, but I've had to learn to also branch out to connect with other people just so that I don't stay within this kind of locked perspective all the time. Because we can really start being quite narrow and it ends up being us versus them piece overall. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had a question. What was I gonna say? <laughs> Hold on, wait. Uh, I'll, I'll cover for you. Okay, so um, <laughs> don't worry. That's, I'll a, cover. that's cover a true. Me. That's a true friend there, Cara. Covering there. Yeah, yeah. I, I got you, man. Okay. So um, I've also heard from somewhere that like as humans, like from our evolutionary past, we've had to like learn to evolve to form a lot of connections to mm. better survive in the world. Yeah. So is there any trace of that still today? Like how we need to have connections to maybe have a healthier mental health mental yeah yeah so 
it's quite interesting too because when when was it i was connecting with actually a priest and just having a conversation with him and he actually went into hermitage like he was actually living a life as a hermit oh actually hmm. and i i was fascinated by that whole prospect of really living on your own um so when yeah. he needed supplies i think like basically family and friends would bring him supplies okay, at certain right. points of the year so he wasn't like entirely alone like he actually recently passed away but he's oh. like all the way out east and you're just explaining to me some of his experiences but i was fascinated by that because of your question there around like he was utterly alone or so i thought but what he shared with me was that he it deepened his own connection with his faith actually and with god yeah that is actually what sustained him Mm -hmm. so for a lot of us social connections help sustain us Mm -hmm. and we kind of crave that sense of belonging and that need to actually fit in with others and to be with others in community with other people um but if you can take it to that next level uh, at least on our faith side like connecting with god and god being your source of nourishment overall um yeah so to your point Conrad, definitely social connections are something that we continue to crave and you wonder why for instance like social media pieces that kind of give that allure of connection and not quite fully that connection but why they're still so popular right now and have actually evolved into multiple different platforms. To that point, they're, they're capitalizing on something. Yes. Right? That's yeah. And that's something to keep in mind when you are using these pieces of technology. Yes, there's a fantastic tool that you can use out of it. But there is something that can be... I don't want to use the word too insidious, but there's something there that can be like also kind of catering on something that may not be as helpful or healthy. As always. Yeah. So would you believe that like communication with others online as opposed to meeting up, like, for example, in person, would that make mm-hmm. a huge difference in the way that they act? Or like, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like you tell me like the phenomenon of trolling someone actually, would that have existed? Like, like I might be dating myself. I don't know if that would have existed a decade ago. Maybe it started like on like old like yeah. forums and whatnot, like older side spaces. But like it's something that now is much more prevalent or people calling out other people behind screens are much more prevalent now yeah. where there's this kind of layer of security behind that sense of anonymity that you wouldn't in your day-to-day interaction be necessarily inclined to do yeah yeah and also would you say that like online connections would are like would, would you say they're not as strong as if you for example met them in person is it a huge difference in the way that they feel connected I don't know if necessarily there's a huge difference in terms of how you feel connected. Um, but I would imagine that there's just different mechanisms that work there, Conrad. Like there's a different biofeedback that ends up happening that we're meeting in person. Yeah. And we've kind of all experienced this that we haven't, like when we have the virtual platform versus the in-class platform, you kind of notice a difference in terms of how you learn and how you engage as well, right? Or engage yeah. with your peers and whatnot. Mm. Yeah. So you tell me, like in terms of like, you lived the entire like two years now and ongoing of this kind of on and on virtual. Like, what's your own preference on that front? My own preference would be, I mean, I prefer to be in person because you feel like a lot greater sense of connection and like you can yeah. feel like you can talk to talk to the people around you rather than staring at a screen, which yeah. doesn't feel like as much as doesn't feel as humane as like in person. Yeah, right. I I would definitely agree to that. Like, I have missed being with people, and then I came back and I thought. Wow, I remember how much I miss being. Uh, I I remember how much I miss just talking to other people, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, there, there's something that's just missing when you're doing something online. 
that's not to say that it's like a horrible thing, but it's much more. I think the right word that you used was humane. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> the best thing. I think that's the. I think it's the wrong word. I yeah. think humane is regarding the treatment of. It's definitely yeah. much more organic, right? Organic. Can, that's can a can way better word. <laughs> no, the better word was genuine. Like, genuine. Okay. Genuine. More genuine. Organic. Yeah. The word is not humane. Humane refers to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, something. Was... <laughs> I'm sorry. That... Ladies and gentlemen, that... podcast club. Yeah. We're competent sometimes. 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 Not all the time. Uh, so. Would uh, you say that COVID has a, like lockdowns? Would you say that affects on our mental our mental health as a society? Hmm. Well, I would definitely have to turn to research. My understanding of the research is saying that right now, right? In yeah. terms of like elevated levels of stress elevated levels of isolation um definitely like more of that suspicion of the other now like us versus them yeah um like definitely a lot of othering right now the big thing obviously is like are you an anti-vaxxer or are you like actually yeah. a vaccine hesitant person or are you vaccinated mm-hmm. so it's creating quite a number of divide pieces as well yeah so which is unfortunately it's definitely taking a toll on our mental health and well-being of course and just anything else that you want to end off on? Well, the, I can't stress this enough in the sense of, like, if you actually need to turn to someone or trusted, like, adult, obviously mental health professionals are available. Uh, keep in mind right now, my understanding is that there's actually a province-wide one that actually seeks to connect. It's called the Foundry. Uh, this They're not paying me to advertise this. Yeah. They're like a free <laughs> service right now. But the helpful part about this particular resource is that it's actually peer-to-peer as well so you can connect with either similar aged peers who have some lived experiences actually kind of similar to your own um and then they can share anecdotally how they've managed it for instance and they can perhaps provide you with some skills or resources but they're definitely someone you can listen to and obviously they have specific mental health professionals as well Um, but i can't stress that enough if you have like and that's the other thing too people think that you only go to counseling or therapy when you're like in dire need of it that's not the only thing for therapy itself. You can have more conversations around existential questions and whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. and sorting out like parts of who you are. Like that's conversations that I've had with clients as well. All right then, mm-hmm. thank you for all of this advice, Mr. Huang. It has been a pleasure having you here. Truly, uh, what's it called? I don't know how to end. <laughs> <laughs> you lost train of thought again, didn't you? <laughs> no, I didn't lose train of thought. I had a train of thought, and then the train of thought crashed. Yeah, it it hit a penny and just kind of flew up and then just... (laughs) I don't know how to to end this. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. I already said that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, we can cut all of this. (laughs) We can cut all of this. No, we're keeping this on. This is being authentic. This is totally being authentic. We're documenting this. This is is authentic. See? Yeah. Yeah, that's our... That's our tag. This is our. It's <laughs> humane. Humane. <laughs> that's our tagline. Like Google College podcast. Humane. Oh, oh it's right. one word, okay? Alrighty, Thank you, you're welcome. Right, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Minds Behind the Madness. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us wherever podcasts can be found, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else. Thanks for listening. Bye.